Welcome to the Purpose Driven Real Estate Podcast. This is where passion meets purpose in an ever-changing real estate market. I'm your host, Steve Valentine, former real estate agent turned real estate entrepreneur, speaker, and guide to all things real estate. And this is my co-host, Paige Tons, former D1 college athlete turned real estate adultrepreneur. Whether you work in the industry or you are a consumer of real estate, with each episode, we intend to raise the bar in our industry and show you the purpose behind every piece of real estate in your life. What's up, everybody? It's Steve Valentine, your host of the Purpose Driven Real Estate Podcast, and my co-host Paige Tons is here. What was that? You sound like a broken goat. Stop being so mean. <laughs> okay, so today, um, what are we discussing today? I'm probably going to go a little rantish, but I'll at least let Paige talk for yeah, five so seconds. Yeah, so here's my, my tidbit, my five seconds of okay. glory over here, but... Steve would like to talk about evolution versus disruption in today's market. So what do you think about evolution versus disruption? Give me an example of what you think about it. You've heard it and you've heard me talk about it. I think the main point, I could summarize it in like a minute. Oh, go ahead. Let's give you 60 <laughs> seconds. We'll let you talk more. The main thing that I get from it is just that I just feel like um, the real estate market and the people within it, the professionals, agents, real estate agents, realtors, whatever you want to call them, um, are mainly just complaining about the lost opportunity instead of looking at the opportunities they have. So they're just looking at it negatively rather than positively. So do you think that comes out of a mindset of scarcity versus abundance? Yeah. Do you think it's a scared thing? Like you're gonna take my job, you're yeah. gonna take what I'm doing, you're gonna take income away from me? Right. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, the word disruption or disruptor is being thrown around, you know, all over the place right now. It's it's being tossed around like a chopped salad. And it's, uh, it's almost to the point to where it's annoying. I mean, people are, you know, naming things after it and it's um you know a good friend of mine has a podcast that has the word disruptor in it and the people that he's interviewing they're great people i don't know that they're disruptors in the industry i think that they've evolved and they've gone with a niche that they found and mm-hmm. they're doing amazing things and you know they're they're an evolution agent when it comes down to doing great things they're not scared of you know, the the tech companies and the discount brokerages and all those things because they found other opportunities in the market to create income and to add value to their clients. Mm -hmm. And that's not disruption, that's evolution. Um, You know, there's a big difference between the two words. Um, When it comes down to, you know, a disruption comes from this. And actually we're we're gonna walk down and do a little history lesson here. So do you know where the actual, um, and I think this is where people are having scarcity is that everybody is still in our industry focused on the number six, right? Mm-hmm. The number six, which is 6% is everybody that is a realtor or in the real realtor? estate profession walks around thinking that you have a 6% price tag on your head mm-hmm. and that's the value of the transaction. And I think that we're in a business that's evolving into something different where whatever you're charging, whatever solution you're providing, there's going to be a dollar volume or a dollar value behind it, not necessarily a percentage behind it. So so again, do you know where the 6% came from? I do not. Okay, 
So it's an interesting story because I've looked it up and, and walked through it. And the 6% actually came from a, um, what was it? The, the evolution, the real estate evolution, slowly looking back at history, the 6% commission, it started in the 1940s. And it was actually like a uh, um, almost steering or price blocking where they, uh, and that's not the word for it, I can't even think of the term for it when I read it. Um, but basically what it was, was they just locked it in. And so the country was dealing with the wars and all the other things going on in the 1940s. So nobody's mm -hmm. paying attention to what somebody was charging. And they basically just price blocked it. And like, this is what you're going to pay no matter what. It didn't matter who was doing it. That was the price it was going to pay. Like how hard it was or how easy it right. was. Right. Didn't matter. How much work price range. Nothing. Paperwork. Or and then the 50s and 60s. So, you know, oh, I'm sorry. It was called price fixing. That's what the term I was working for. So they fixed the price in the 40s. And then in the 50s and 60s, there was some court cases and some other things that came out and they went in and it was now a suggested um, compensation for to sell your house was 6%. So mm -hmm. it wasn't price fixed, it was now a suggested. So now the general public was, was basically it was a suggested price. The 70s, there were several lawsuits that arose um, and it was no longer a suggested and it was something that um, the boards, or it wasn't looked at by the boards. And so it was just kind of stuck in the public's head that it was a standard charge because they've already gone through 30 years mm -hmm. of it being 6%, even though there was things in the background that said otherwise, mm -hmm. now it just became the perception, right? Right, or the norm. Here's where I believe being third generation real estate professional, here's what I think disruptions are. Disruptions are anything that causes people to be completely scared, frustrated with the market, uh -huh. and cause the general public to stop buying and selling. So here's some major disruptions in history that I don't believe have anything to do with what people perceive as disruptions now. So 19... What are disruptions now? Um, or what are the perceived disruptions? The perceived that disruptions are from everybody right are the, um, I think, I think Josiah's over there looking at me like, you're getting away from the mic, dude. <laughs> All right, I got you, Josiah. Um, the, uh, the perceived disruptions were in 2014, Open Door came out, okay? Open Door is a company that, um, big hedge fund, lots of money, and they will buy a house off market. Now, them, OfferPad, Mm -hmm. They have, and same thing with Zillow, they all have a convenience fee that's built in. So they're giving you a certain price, minus repairs, minus the convenience fee to buy your house and make it simple. Now, that's supposedly a disruption. Mm -hmm. Now the reality is I think the last time I checked, you know, this year, those three companies might make up for about, wow, how's your elbow <laughs> feel on that one? Um, might make up for about 10 to 15% of the actual market. Now, so they're certainly making market share without mm -hmm. a doubt. Um, but what people don't see is that they have to stay in their box, mm -hmm. okay? They're, they're publicly traded. There's all kinds of things that go with the investment side of that. So there's a box that everything has to function in, right? Mm -hmm. No big deal. Those, those are the perceived things. The funny thing about that is that what nobody's looked at is that We Buy Ugly Houses has been around 
for like 25 years right. as a national franchise, and they've been doing this crap forever. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a disruption. Little caveman guy? Yeah, little caveman dude. Um, they kind of pigeonholed themselves by we buy ugly houses. So now if you have a pretty house, well, you don't call we buy ugly houses. So they kind of, sure. you know, but those are the perceived disruptions. The perceived disruptions are, you know, the wholesalers, the people that are buying things. But here's what happens. Those people that are not, it goes back to the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Mm-hmm. Okay, The real estate business has been done the same way for the last 50 years, okay? The, even the commission rate hasn't really evolved. It's kind of evolved and digressed. So, you know, you can sell your home between 4% and 8% depending on who's buying it, what you're giving up, whatever the case may be. Right. And so you you fast forward to now, and I believe the consumer somewhat wants the Amazon experience of selling their home. Now the consumer still wants a relationship with a real estate professional in order to represent them on the buy side and help them with those pieces and even help them navigate through. You know, sometimes we have clients like, hey, Zillow's willing to pay me this or OfferPad's willing to pay me this. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can do for this? Well, we might look at it and we might have a better solution that might get them to where they want to be because we can operate outside the box. Right. And so that's that's where the issue comes in with the limited mindset of, oh, well, these people are disrupting our business. They're not. Somebody just had a better idea than the rest of us did, and they executed on it with a big pile of cash. They were seeing opportunity Correct. rather than complaining about Correct. it. And they've they've gone in and they've involved tech and they've all ease. And, you know, unfortunately our own industry has caused some of its own problem. It's like, you know, how many times have we talked to people recently? You know, we sell a lot of homes mm-hmm. in our operation because of the amount of homes that we acquire from people and renovate. And we're going through what we call bins or hell right now. Yeah. Which is, you know, buyer inspection notice where the agents are, you know, the buyer's representation is sending over and not educating their clients on what to expect during this process. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get into that sometime different where, you know, the inspection is meant to right. just look over the house. It's not meant for the seller to correct everything that's on that report. It's a used house, it's like buying a used car. Yeah. But that right there has caused so much stress. Like that is the most stressful situation and piece of negotiation that a seller can go through. Mm-hmm. Even for me as the seller, you know, I was on the phone with Erica today and it's annoying because people are not educated. She's not annoying. No, not Erica. <laughs> um, just the agents and what they're going through and what they're allowing their clients to do because they're right. not educating their clients in that aspect of it. And so, so now let's let's really talk about true. Yeah, so now tell us about the true disruptions. True disruption. True disruptions. Now again, third generation. So my dad was in the business for forty years. My grandmother was in the business for fifty years. So they lived through a lot of these disruptions. I lived through the very last one. Um, you know, in the business. So. 1975 to 1983, when we were having oil crisis, the mortgage rates on average were 14% during that time, okay? People bitch about 5% interest rates right now, and in the 70s, they were 14%. At one point in time, I think it was 1983, all-time high of 17.9%, okay? My grandmother and my dad and my mom, they I don't think anyone would be able to buy anything. (laughs) No, you can't. Start thinking about what that looked like. Now, it might be different with the pricing of home back then. Mm -hmm. You couldn't buy anything at 18% right now and survive. I mean, you could if you made good income and that was your last resort. But 
let's face it. That'd be ridiculous. That's a disruption. Right. That's a huge, like if right now all of a sudden interest rates spike to 15%, that we wouldn't be We'd buying. have no buyers. I'd be stuck with a boatload of inventory that would turn into rentals. Mm -hmm. Now, your rental market would increase. Right. Because all of a sudden you have no buyers. It would just turn into like a big rental. Uh... Yep. <laughs> but then rents would go down because now all of a sudden you have an increase in rentals causing the rental price to go down because you have so many of them. So supply and demand. Mm -hmm. So what happens in this though, the 14 to 18%, here's a disruption to 90% of the industry for me living with my dad and understanding what he went through. My dad lived through this time. Mm -hmm. This is when you start doing creative financing. This is when you start doing wraparound mortgages and you start doing seller carries and you start figuring out how to move things around Without in order to create having the yep. new mortgages. Yep. The very best value. And a lot of times too, what people don't see, which I love is, you know, the FHA, I don't believe VA, but FHA conventional, those loans, depending, can be assumed by somebody else if they qualify. Mm. So if they call the bank and say, we wanna assume this mortgage, you can assume it based on you qualifying. So if I had a 5% mortgage mm -hmm. and you wanted to buy my house, yeah. you could assume my mortgage, but you're gonna have to pay the difference in cash. Gotcha. That's where the difference is. So there's a lot of different creative things that a lot of people have never lived through and never experienced. And that's again, that's where we provide a huge value when it comes down to how do we get from point A to point B if we have kind of an awkward situation? Right. And again, I don't find, you know, the 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 big three that I call them, you know, Offerpad, Open Door, and Zillow. They're a zoo. That's what they are. They're a zoo. <laughs> Offerpad, Open Door, and Zillow. Um, so the zoo doesn't impact us because they might be able to provide more money than I can mm -hmm. or that we can in our company, but. I can provide something that might be different when it comes down to something need, somebody needed to rent their house back for six months, it needs more repairs, it's outside the right. zoo box when it comes down to it. The zoo box. I'm totally keeping that, I'm trademarking that crap. Um, okay, so let's, let's fast forward, 1983, things start to get better, rates go down to probably about 8%. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go, 1990s. Um, were you born yet? 1992. You were the cause of this then. <laughs> um, 1990s, uh, savings and loan crisis, mm -hmm. okay? So I have some of this, um, not all dialed in, but there's actually, there's a link to it if you guys wanna go read more in the show notes. Um, so there was 30, approximately 3,300 um, savings and loans at the time, which would be kind of equivalent to like a credit union um, to these days. Savings and loans, out of those nearly 3,500, 33% mm -hmm. of them went belly up with uh, it cost the taxpayers more than 132 billion dollars in that time. One particular savings and loan that was actually here, some people that are listening to this, they're in Phoenix, remember the whole Michael Keating debacle? Um, his savings and loan was a hundred, a uh, hundred billion dollars, yeah, a hundred billion dollars in the negative. So he owed all that money? So what happened was, and I'm sorry, it's 100 million, not 100 billion, um, 100 million dollars in the negative. So what was happening is the government was, the Federal Reserve rate was say at 10%. Mm -hmm. The savings and loan was loaning money out at like 9%. Mm -hmm. So they had money coming in, they were loaning it out at nine, but then they were putting it in different risky hedge funds and things. And okay. when crap hit the fan, all of a sudden the government didn't see, well, 
they're not liquid, they're negative. So now you have all these problems. Again, it costs taxpayers like $132 billion. And that's when the RTC stepped in and then they had to start going through and selling homes. And I remember, in fact, I remember being a kid um, in the 90s and uh, going out with my dad and doing like these packages of HUD homes, like these nasty homes that have basically been foreclosed on. And you know, it was terrible, but there was just this big deal. I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. I want to say his name was Brian McKay. I, I don't remember. I just remember when I was a kid going to clean these things out and going, what the heck happened to this stuff? And uh, so that was a huge disruption. Uh, you know, when it came down to things being foreclosed on, money lost, huge disruptor in the market. Mm-hmm. Definitely caused decrease in value. And, uh, and a lot of people lost their homes and a lot of just failed banking when it came down to the savings and loan crisis. Mm-hmm. You'd think we would have learned a little bit with the savings and loan crisis when it came to the 2005 subprime crap. Yeah. You know, the other disruptors that cause temporary disruption or slowing down because of fear um, is any war that we've had. You know, you go back to Desert Storm in the 90s and then you go to 9-11. All of these caused interest rate spikes. They caused fear. They caused slowdown. In fact, I remember 9-11 that afternoon I had to go and do a... Uh, a walkthrough with a client that was closing that day. Mm-hmm. Now, not a not a lot of panic from him, but we also had a lot of people that were on the verge of buying that just decided to back off because they didn't know the uncertainty of what was going to happen with the United States. Like, you know, we just had an attack on foreign soil or on home soil and home soil, uh, home soil. <laughs> um, you know, on our homeland, the homeland. The homeland. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just one of those pieces that it caused fear and panic. So people backed off. So it, it took probably six to eight months to kind of recover. But then we went into, uh, you know, the wars for a while over there and, and being deployed and it finally got better and it was okay, but it still caused some disruption there, but it wasn't a permanent disruption. Mm-hmm. The biggest disruption to the United States when it came down to it was, you know, we blame it on the subprime mm-hmm. and, you know, the subprime led to greed and which led to the chaos in 2008. So you want to talk about disruption, go from 2006, the height of the market was sometime between 2006 and the 2006, 2007. And being in a time like we are right now mm-hmm. of multiple offers in that 200,000 price range, fighting for things, um, going through that process, to it all of a sudden be flipped on its lid overnight. No more contracts. You're like, what is going on? The lending stopped, banks were being shut down. And then you get into 2008, this is disruption. I I think the numbers that was going on at the time, as I I think the banks were foreclosing on nearly 200,000 homes a day during 2008. So at one point in time, you know, we were being heavily involved in REOs. We were getting some weeks, we were getting upwards of 100 to 150 assignments a week. So new properties that have been foreclosed on. Now that we're just one broker. So, and I think at the height of the market, there was 50 or 60,000 homes on the market right now. I think we're sitting at around 20,000 total. Mm -hmm. And most of these were foreclosures. Mm -hmm. Most of these were vacant, abandoned homes. And all these banks- Where did all these people go? Went to rentals. They, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to really think about like what happened? Where did everybody go? What did it look like? I mean, I know when we got foreclosed on, we went to a rental. And then I know that a year after we had moved out about eight months into that rental, but a year after that, that rental got foreclosed on. 
Hmm. You know, and that was always a big deal then was, you know, the the landlords were keeping rents and then letting houses foreclosed on and then the renters had to go find somewhere else to, to go. So right. it, was, it was tough then. But you talk about that many homes on the market and causing prices to decrease rapidly overnight. I mean, we were at a low in 2008, 2009 that was probably 75% below where we had sold stuff right. two years prior. That's a disruption. Mm-hmm. That's a huge disruption. So think about this: you take a you take a realtor, and their average commission on a two hundred thousand dollar house is about six grand. Mm-hmm. To all of a sudden, when we were doing REOs in two thousand eight, we probably had at any given time probably half of our assets were under fifty thousand dollars. We were getting paid a thousand dollars per house. <laughs> That's a huge decrease in income. Right. When you start looking at it. now, it was in volume when it came down to. And then it. all the real estate schools emptied. Right. Well, I mean, that that was it. I mean, that's what happens. You get all these people that flood into the real estate market. You know, you talk about disruptions. Well, how about, you know, the 80,000 licenses we have here in Arizona that a bunch of people have jumped back into the business because it's good. Mm-hmm. That's a disruption. You think about all the people out there that are doing onesie and twosie transactions yeah. that are representing people that really have no experience, mm-hmm. but they're going out with their friends and family because it's easy. And they mm-hmm. think it's easy. You know, that's that's another disruption. But, you know, the foreclosures was was a disaster. And that was probably our biggest disruption ever in our market mm-hmm. that I can see, you know, that we lived through. Um, you know, then you see the pattern, you know, the major shift, you know, and just the panic, you know, that causes disruption. You know, 2008, 2009, that caused a lot of disruption. But you start looking at, well... How did we shift? What were we doing? I mean, I was going to say, what's the solution then here? Well, I mean, the solution is to evolve. You know, you're, you have to compete. And I don't even think you have to compete with the zoo, as I call it. Um, I, I just think you have to start giving more value to your clients. They mm-hmm. need a perceived value. If you don't have perceived value, they'll go sell your house to the zoo or they'll go find. Uh, discounted broker like Homie or Purple Bricks, I think, is a new one. There's a bunch of different ones, and it's not that, you. Know, hey, look, if you don't have a relationship with somebody, they're going to go call one of those people they heard on the radio because if right. they don't have a relationship with you, they don't have a relationship with them. They're just looking for somebody to do something cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if I have or we have a perceived value with our clients and the consumer that, hey, we can we can creatively move this stuff around and they're paying for the value that they get in that advice, not necessarily for selling their home. Right. You know, a monkey can it's sell like the a house. It's cons- like a consultation or, yeah. you know, someone. It's, it goes back to this. You, you look at when you go to, you get in a car accident or um, <laughs> you're going to get plastic surgery or whatever. You're not going to go to a discount plastic surgeon that you found for $9.99 on the back of a magazine Mm -hmm. that's gonna go cut you up. You're gonna typically go look for a referral or somebody to help you. And that's what's amazing in this market is that people are gonna let their greatest asset go without getting advice from somebody that has experience that can add value. But we first have to add value. So you start looking, how do we add value? How do, as real estate professionals, how do we add value to our consumers? And it's by knowing what their options are. Their option Mm -hmm. isn't always putting it on the market. There may be a spin. And the other thing is that 
to look as a real estate professional going, hey, I'm not really sure what to do with this, but maybe I could call Steve Valentine and maybe he's got a creative solution to work with me on this. Right. You know, that's the cool thing was we've created some cool relationships with people that they know they can call and go, hey, I've got this weird situation. What do you think? And I'm always willing to go like, dude, bring me the crazy. Let's see if you can figure this one I, out. I got the crazy. Bring it to me. You know, let's let's work it out and see if it's beneficial to the seller, the buyer, myself, and the other agent to where we work together and make the dream come true, which is everybody wins at the end of the day rather than everybody squabbling over something. Right. And again, you get paid for the solution that's provided. Mm -hmm. And you can feel good about it. Right. You know, so, you know, we've kind of talked about some of the different things and the disruptions and what people, people look at. And you start looking at, again, the book, Who Moved My Cheese? And mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of people are right now. Um, there wasn't a, if you read that book or know anything about that book, you have four characters and you have him and Haw and Sniff and Scurry. And they're little people and mice that are in a maze and they live in a house and they go out every morning to go to the cheese room. And I think the first one was like cheese room 10 or something like that. And there's this big mountain of cheese. Well, they would all run there at the beginning and then they would eat their cheese. Wasn't it a maze? Yeah, it's a maze. Okay. That's what I said. They Maybe. lived in a house in a maze. You said they started in a room. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. I was just making okay. sure you explained it correctly. Aye, aye. Okay, so they live in a maze. <laughs> And uh, they would run to, once they found, they found the cheese room. So they'd go to the cheese room. Got it. They'd eat cheese, and then they'd run back. Well, eventually, him and Haw started to get complacent, which I think we're in that piece of the market right now where people are starting to become complacent. Mm -hmm. And they become complacent. So then now they're walking to the cheese room. But Sniff and Scurry are still running there, checking it out, evaluating what's going on, seeing the evolution the evolution is the fact that the cheese is starting to dwindle. Mm -hmm. So they started to look for more cheese as it started to dwindle. Him and Haw, they kept hanging out, getting fat and happy, not realizing the cheese was diminishing until they got there the last time and realized, wait, where'd all the cheese go? Mm -hmm. Now what do we do? And I, I think it's I think it's him. I think he was throwing a hissy fit, you know, being a whiny little bitch, um, <laughs> going, hey, you know, where's my cheese? And I mean, if you read the book or you see some of the cartoons on YouTube, it's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, he's whining and and Hall wants to go out and find more cheese. Like, dude, let's just go. Let's go look. But I think you have a part of our industry that's standing there like him going, well, I had all this business and now the zoo has taken the opportunity and now they're standing there having hissy fit. Mm -hmm. rather than looking at all the opportunities going, hey, I still have a whole maze full of opportunities. Right, let's I take just, advantage of them. I just need to take advantage of them. I need to go out and look for something different. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, that, that I look at, you know, think about the changes in, in the world right now. Um, I, you know, I posted a photo a couple weeks ago of a store closing on Toys R Us, Babies R Us, mm. and... It was interesting just to think about why didn't they move their cheese? The minute Amazon came in 10 years ago, 12 years ago and started, nobody saw the writing on the wall going, hey, 
we need to really focus on how to take our brick and mortar to an online piece mm-hmm. or dumb down the stores into smaller and not carry as much in store that you can have shipped or whatever the case may right. be. So now all of a sudden that company has gone completely out of business. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're done. It's because the moms don't want to tote their kids around right? and toys are us. Who wants to go shopping? <laughs> but, but Walmart did the same thing. You know, I was reading something the other day about the GDP of Walmart and, uh, or the GDP comparison to Walmart as a corporation. Mm-hmm. Walmart's equivalent of $427 billion is their, their value right now. And they actually would be the 28th largest country GDP wise in the overall scheme of things right now. Yeah. So you start putting that into perspective. It took Walmart 10 years to go to an online system to send out stuff free. (laughs) Nobody likes to go to Walmart. Like let's just, unless you want to go there for fun, like you've had a couple cocktails, you want to go look at what's going on (laughs) at Walmart. Maybe they can turn into the new fries and have a a bar at Walmart. Right. (laughs) That would be ugly. There would be a whole lot of crap going on in there. so I just think that the consumer, so we go back to Amazon. What did Amazon do? They made it consumer friendly in order to take the pain out of shopping. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the buying time piece. You know, I sat there yesterday going, okay, I needed to buy some helmets and some other stuff um, for our side-by-sides and the kids. And More like, batteries for your Or toys. rechargeable AA batteries that Paige doesn't know anything about because um, she's only 26. So we, we go through and you look at the consumer experience now. I can lay in bed and order all I need for whatever. Or maybe not lay in bed, but. You know what I mean? You're Shut getting up. you're getting work done right. while you uh, right. wait for your stuff. I didn't have to get up, <laughs> drive to Walmart to buy helmets for my kids. I ordered them, they're there the next day. I just bought myself an hour's worth of time. Mm-hmm. So same thing with the consumer. Hey. I don't have to make repairs to my house. I don't have to put it on the market. Somebody doesn't have to walk through it. I don't have to listen to people complain about the outlets not working or a GFCI not being up to code. Right. They, they alleviate all the pain that they've had in the past. And it makes it simple. And that's what the consumer wants. They want this to be simple. Mm-hmm. And we've made it so complicated. And I think as real estate agents, I think we're still making it complicated. More complicated than it needs to be because, you know, too many people are still getting up in the morning and putting their cape on, mm-hmm. trying to save the consumer rather than trying to figure out how we all get along and work together to make it a win-win for everybody. Putting their chests out. Right. And so, you know, this is kind of where I go to is that I created a course called Limitless Project intentionally to look at some of these evolutions mm-hmm. and how you can be in the midst and add more value to your clients both in helping them build wealth, mm-hmm. helping them solve the problem, and adding value to not only themselves, but the agents to look at, hey, I'm not seeing all the opportunities that are available right now, mm-hmm. which is I could invest. I could buy their home as a rental property. I could buy their home as a potential flip. I could, you know, I could know what um, what this looks like for a Steve Valentine and call Steve and go, hey, I got a client's got a really bad house. Would you buy this and still get paid for the deal knowing that you're solving the problem, problem and you're taking away the pain and making it easy for them. And that's why I created that project was to go through and coach people through the process of how did we do what we do? I think to date, um, 
you know, the company, including what Wendy does on the renovation side, I think we're almost 450 homes deep on the renovations is what we've renovated in the last three years. And what's cool about that is that that's 450 solutions we provided because we understood the opportunities that lied underneath. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's what helped us create that. It's what's helped us create our income, our inventory. And it's also repurposed lots of communities and created lots of value. And I just think that that's the direction. Creating an impact. Yeah. So we're having an impact on a ton of people. And the Limitless Project, so you can go to stevedvalentine.com and you can sign up for, subscribe to the Limitless Project, and then we'll get you some information. Um, there's new courses starting all the time, and it's a group coaching session, just kind of how to implement this type of thinking into your business. And again, we want you to have a limitless mindset, not the mindset of, oh, our business is being disrupted, our jobs are being taken away. Not a limitless, away. not a limited. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And I just, I believe that that's where people are at right now is that they are limiting their thinking and they're so worried about what else is going on rather than finding their way to contribute to the industry and provide value to their clients. I'm out. That's all I got. Sweet. My rant today. I didn't even have to ask the question about where to go. I know, right? I got all that in? Yeah. All right. High five. We're out of here. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you loved this episode, please share it with somebody you think would also love it or be inspired by it. Without you guys, we can't create more purpose. Please leave us a review and a truthful comment or thought. And until next time, this is Purpose Driven Real Estate.